You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Welcome to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. My name is Amanda Dale, and I'm your host tonight. This is our third conversation in a series of three togetherings where we have explored taboos through participatory conversations. And tonight's topic is shame. Now, before we start the conversation tonight, let's take a moment to acknowledge where we are. Simonetta, Indra, and I are in the KONR Out North Radio Studio in Anchorage. This is on the traditional land of the Denaina people. And we are honored tonight to have two guests with us who are going to help us open up and deepen tonight's conversation. So live on the phone with us, we have Yari Tuli Walker and Tika Ballas. Yari is originally from the village of Sabunga on St. Lawrence Island in Northwest Alaska. She's St. Lawrence Island Yupik and currently works as an indigenous consultant at Alaska Pacific University. Yari, good evening and thanks for joining us. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you very much for the invitation. Wonderful. And Tika, we're honored to have Tika Ballas here with us as well. Tika's a middle school special education teacher and one of the founding co-owners of the Writer's Block Cafe here in Spinard. Tika, welcome to you. Thanks for being here. Can you hear me as well? I can, and thank you for the invitation. Lovely. So we'll begin tonight's conversation by by just asking you guys a few questions to, to ease into this really big and meaty topic of shame. Uh, to start out, let's maybe start with a question that lets us get to know you guys a little better and, and start to understand your connection to this topic and, and why you were interested in this conversation. Um, so let's start with, uh, could you share about a personal experience that has shaped your perspective on shame? Um, Yari, could I ask you to start us off? Sure. With uh, one of my personal experiences, I was once in a a very abusive marriage in the 1980s and also in the 90s, and I used to feel ashamed. I kept the abuse secret for four years until my parents confronted me about the abuse, and I, I didn't want people to know that my husband at the time was physically, psychologically, and spiritually abusive to me because it was wrong what he did to me. And I didn't want people to look down at him or judge him. Those were my biggest worries. Mm. I didn't want people to know that I feared him and that he beat me. And if I did not feel shame at the time, it wouldn't be okay because then I would be sending him the wrong message that it was okay to beat me. And not only that, I would be sending the wrong message to the other abusers as well. Yari, thank you for opening us up on a, on a powerful note. Um, Tika, I want to turn it over to you. What's an experience that comes to mind for you that has helped shape how you think about shame? Um, well, first I want to acknowledge, Yari, um, I'm, I'm really glad to hear as you speak of your shame that uh, it's in a past tense um, and the vulnerability that it takes to open up and speak of that so clearly and eloquently is really powerful. So thank you. Um, 
and for my own experience of shame, uh, I think there's, there's a lot of different shames and a lot of different kinds of shames. And ultimately like that understanding that, uh, that shame itself is about the devaluation of our entire sense of self. It's different than guilt, right? It really attacks almost, uh, not to use it flippantly, but like, like a virus. Um, and my, my first experiences with shame were really early on uh, as a very small child um, living in uh, a household where I was experiencing sexual assault and uh, by a family member or family friend. And there was a, a sense of shame that kind of accompanies that. Um, it's common. Uh, but for me, it was um, this guilt as well. So like I had done something wrong to deserve this. And as time wore on, it became a shame uh, because it became that full devaluing my sense of self and my worthiness toward anything. Uh, and that's probably the origins of a lot of the shame that I grapple with, even in my adult life, um, is that in, in and the subsequent sexual assaults in my life that kind of uh, fed it um, and almost built this house of Usher in a sense. Tika, thank you. Thank you to both of you for, for bringing such honesty to this conversation tonight. Um, you both alluded to, to other feelings that, that are tied to shame. Could you speak a little bit more about that connection between shame and other feelings? And this is open to whoever would like to start. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and um, try and tackle that. I think because shame is such a complex feeling um, and that there are so many who uh, might experience shame but haven't necessarily accessed the empathy toward others' sense of shame, um, that there is... Uh, so shame in itself is perpetuated in a lot of different ways because of that lack of acknowledgement societally. And um, Yari spoke about uh, domestic violence. And for so long, I think we're starting to, to evolve out of this, but for so long in our culture, for instance, that we've talked about um, it's your own fault for being in that relationship. Why don't you just leave? And that inability to leave, um, it... it feeds that sense of uh, your lack of self-worth or that you are not brave enough, you're not strong enough, so therefore you're a bad person, you're a failure. And I think in that sense, like shame kind of like brings about this whole array of really complicated um, emotions, but also really complicated actions and reactions we have to different things that trigger that shame, that guilt, that feeling of self-deprecation in a sense, not the feeling of, but that sense of self-deprecation that kind of pervades so many aspects. Mm. I agree with what Tika said. And I also want to add, um, when I was in the abusive relationship, I felt shame when people would ask me over and over why I don't leave. And that made me feel shame. It made me feel bad. And it made me feel like I was at fault for the abuse. But then I realized, why don't people ask him why he abuses? Because it made me feel shame when people question me and ask me why I didn't leave. Mm. So now when I think about women who are in the same situation I was in, instead of asking these women, why do you stay? 
I would rather ask the abuser, why do you abuse? You both speak well to this um, need for, for more empathy and understanding, right? Especially when people are, are feeling shame about themselves and their situation. I'm so curious, Yari, you said you changed the questions, um, you know, that you ask folks now. Are there other changes you would like to see in the way that we talk about this? in the way folks um, approach the topic of shame and, and talk to people who may be experiencing it? Well, I want to say that um, there's, to me, there's, where did I have it here? Um, let me get back to you. Can can you ask Tika a question, please? Of course, sure. <laughs> I'm also, um, Tika, I don't want to limit you if you would like to respond to that. Um, I'm also curious um, your thoughts on if this is a feeling that everyone can experience or if, if shame is, is unique to traumatic situations. Uh, mm. Wow, there's like so many words just exploding in my head all at once. Um, you know, it's interesting. There there are loads of studies on shame, and Brene Brown is kind of like a big pillar in in that universe of of studying the effects of shame and also uh, surviving shame. And um, a lot of people experience shame in in different ways. I. I think that uh, not all of them are rooted in just um, surviving abuse, that there are the shame that comes with uh, living in poverty. There is the shame of uh, religious values, of sexual identity, of sexuality. There are there's so many different ways that we can <laughs> access for all intents and purposes. Like we can actually access shame if you really want to. Um, mm. But uh but ways that so many of us do. And I think, uh, and I think a lot of people experience shame and are not conscious of it. And it ends up per really being pervasive in how they react and respond to so many things in their lives. Uh, there are so many triggers that they don't even recognize as triggers because of shame that they have not addressed. Um, I don't know if that actually answers your question, but I have, <laughs> I think it's really fascinating how we all seem to, not all of us, but how so many of us access shame from different angles and different ways that we cope and deal with it. Mm. I think that's a great start. I appreciate that. And I, I can't see you, but I'm getting the sense, Yari, that you were about to say something. Is that right? Yes, I was. I wanted to add that. Um, when I was thinking about shame, I thought about how we as humans, we were all born with emotions. So it, it does come with our package at birth that it's a normal emotion. We feel um, positive and negative feelings and shame is one of them. And so at one point or another, everyone will experience feeling shame. You know, it, sometimes it is not a great feeling and it hurts us on the inside. And so when I think about emotions, not do I think about what I'm feeling, I also like to ask myself, where in my body am I feeling this emotion? Because it helps me to better understand it is the way I feel about it. Can you go into that a little more, Yari, when you say where in your body are you feeling the emotion? What do you mean by that? Like, for instance, if I was feeling 
say somebody hurt me or shame me, I ask myself, where in my body am I feeling it? Is it causing me a headache? Do I have a physical headache from the shame or the stress? Is it hurting in my heart area, my chest? Am I feeling, you know, is it hurting on the back of my neck? I try to acknowledge uh, what I am feeling physically because not only do you need healing emotionally, and mentally from these uh, negative emotions, but a lot of people don't realize that you need physical and spiritual healing from these things too. Mm. That leads me into something I was I was actually hoping to ask is if if there's such a thing as as an antidote to shame or or something. I mean, a cure is a strong word, but what are some things that, in your experience, alleviate shame? I think first, uh, per- for me personally, the first step is to acknowledge that you are feeling shame and realize that it is a normal emotion. And I think when you feel shame, you come to terms with the fact that the shame is there and there's nothing you could do to take it back just to accept that it is there. And it's important to forgive whether it's someone else who made you feel shame or yourself And forgiveness is one of our traditional values in our Yupi culture, and it's something that you do for yourself. Does that resonate with you, Tika? Well, to take two steps back um, is the where in my body do I feel this? And I just want to, like, throw out some virtual hugs in that direction. That was beautiful and really powerful. I had, like, an emotional reaction to it Um, because shame does reside in us physically. It is an emotion. So our bodies, I mean, all studies, even if you want to go on the scientific bent of it, have shown that in fact, you know, shame is a type of trauma on top of often a trauma and it has a physical effect on us. And my whole growing up as a child, I was constantly, um, suppressing this physical visceral need to like basically vomit because of the shame. And any time I had to address sexuality in any sort of way, I had a physical reaction in my gut. And it's interesting that as Yari pointed that out, I realized, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a physical thing, but the different types Mm -hmm. of shame or the different shames that I feel in other kinds of circumstances, I have a a different physical reaction to it. I have a a huge reaction to um, the shaming that often comes with male authority figures and wealth. Um, and it's definitely more in my head space than in my gut space where I get headaches and my shoulders ache. Anyway, I just thought that was really powerful and mm-hmm. made me want to be much more physically aware when I'm feeling these, cause I've stayed in this mental state of dealing with it and addressing shame in my life. Um, so I just wanted to thank Yari so much for that statement cause it was really powerful for me. Um, but to secondly, um, when you ask about what are some of the things that we can do, was that right? Was that what you asked? Yeah, I think even on a general note, you know, are there things that, that help alleviate shame? Mm. You, you know, there's this thing called shame resilience theory that is really kind of fascinating that I think a lot of us, um, can tap into. It's really accessible, uh, and I think on my own, I intrinsically started addressing it. Uh, some years back when I realized that I 
and not just as a form of cathartic release, but really felt that the more I could talk through some of my experience, um, the more I accessed empathy for others and allowed others to have compassion and empathy toward me. And that in itself was really powerful. And, and maybe Yari can speak to that too of like, was there a moment of finding power and being able to address the abuse that was resulting in shame? But on top of that, and then I'll, I'll be done. But there's, there's a lot said in SRT, the shame resilience theory about finding that power in allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And that vulnerability comes a lot from being able to talk openly, speak openly of the origins of our shame. Mm. And then finding that connection with others and ultimately finding freedom from it. That's stepping away from it so I can look on the outside in as to where what this shame is and what kind of control and manipulation it has over me. Mm, thank you, Tico. I agree with that. That I really like that a lot. So thank you for sharing that, Tico. I agree with that. So along the lines of that, I was thinking about um, when you acknowledge the fact that you are feeling shame and you acknowledge the truth in that, as the elders teaches, that the truth sets us free. So when you acknowledge that you have shame, and um, it, it really does set us free when we acknowledge it. So I wanted to add to that. Tika, um, it was a great question you posed a minute ago when I think you were asking Yari if there was a, a moment of, of kind of finding her power. And now, Yari, you've, you've put in my head this you know, moment where you feel free um, in the truth. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if either of you or, or both of you Remember a particular moment where where this was true for you, either a moment of feeling free or a moment of feeling powerful? I think for me, the very moment I decided it was time for me to leave, that was the first time I started to feel free instead of trapped. Hmm. And I decided I wasn't going to be ashamed about this anymore, that people needed to know that domestic violence is not okay. And so when I moved here, when I felt the time was right, that's when I began to share my story. I put aside that shameful feeling because I knew that if I shared my story, that it was going to make a difference somewhere. And so that to me, it I feel, I feel like it helped me to per, have personal growth within myself when I came to realization that you know, I don't have to feel shameful about this because, you know, it did happen. And I left uh, for a good reason. And so um, that's that's how it was for me. I'm going to leave it open, Tika. If at some point you feel like responding to that, please do or just let me know. Uh, yeah. Um, no rush. Well, I think that uh, I, I would love to say that I am so free from all shame. Um, I think... You know, to be just really um, forward about this, I think one of the tragedies of um, childhood sexual assault is, um, and, and, and perhaps all sexual assault, but I think as um, as a young child and almost really preverbal to what was happening, um, there's this really pervasive kind of shame that comes with that in that it is a family member that you're supposed to be doing right by, um, 
it is a family person who's supposed to be doing right by you. So there's this confusion that goes with it. And then uh, this understanding, this intuitive, inherent understanding that it's all wrong. And then the physical aspect of your body deceiving you um, with what is pleasurable, what is not pleasurable. And um, there's this, this shame that arises from that that I feel like ultimately um, is in every pore of my body, even this far into adulthood, uh, where I have to continually um, not relive or any of that, but address where I'm at, why am I feeling this way, this is is this guilt or is this shame? Is this about how I'm feeling toward my own actions or is this about how I feel about myself? Mm. And, um, and I, I wish I could say that I am, I am so beyond all shame that is associated with that, but I am not at all. I feel like, um, it is a constant, but what is probably what empowers me the most, what gives me the greatest relief, honestly, is I'm a, I'm an accidental teacher. I accidentally fell into teaching five years ago, and I work with predominantly children who are really high at risk, and I witness them struggling through their own shame and trauma every day, and I think it helps me to be really compassionate and empathetic toward them, mm-hmm. and being able to do that, it's like that idea of like teaching makes you a stronger student. Um, I think in that sense, being there with them every day and for them every day uh, helps me and empowers me every day with my own struggle, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Tonight's conversation is about shame. On the phone with us, we have Tika Ballas and Yari Tuli-Walker, who have very powerfully already opened up this dialogue Uh, Where we left off, Tika was talking about, I believe, accessing empathy in your work as a teacher. Um, And I was so curious, Yari, to ask you if if this has played a role for you in your work as well, you know, whether working at the university um, or in in the healing practices in general. Yes, especially with the kids I volunteered with at McLaughlin Youth Center here in Anchorage. Mm. Um, I use a lot of empathy with them and building a relationship with them and getting to know them and getting to know them. I came in as one of them versus an officer, you know what I mean? And just allow them to feel like I'm just I'm just like you guys. I'm like one of you guys and sharing my personal stories with them um, because we had some similarities with some of the youth in there because I had issues with alcoholism at one point and being charged with two separate DUIs. So I came in with an understanding, uh, listening to them and with a lot of empathy. Do either or or both of you see, um, you know, we talk about work with young people and and the importance of empathy there, of course. Have you also found um, a need, you know, among adults to have it modeled for them how to be more empathetic when responding to shame? I, I think um, any way that we walk through life, uh, we should consider how we are modeling to others because so many of us struggle with how to be right with ourselves or how to be right with others. Um, so I think in a sense, like everything that we do is a representation of how we want to be 
treated in this life and how we hope to uh, be able to treat others, if that makes sense. But uh, I think I think there is modeling, and I do think, you know, a few years back, uh, I started an art series project called with my partner called Writing the Body, that was all about um, these confessionals for people to uh, anonymously process. Uh, their experience of of shame, ultimately, and uh, and the process or the acts of being victimized or victimizing another. Um, and you know, Yari had said something about changing that conversation to uh, away from just focused on our own shame, but to the person who is that perpetrator in our lives that might have that shame and asking them why, turning that question onto them, the why. And um, oftentimes there's, you know, there's a lot of shame that goes uh, with being that perpetrator, right? So mm. hopefully by opening up this conversation, it's setting up this, this modeling of sorts, as you called it, um, that inspires others to uh, not only have empathy, but to find their power over their shame and at the same time uh, acknowledge how their shame might be inflicting others. Does it make sense? It does. It does. Um, Thank you. For now, um, Yari, turning it over to you, um, how how were your thoughts along this line of of the need for for empathy with adults as well and and teaching, you know, not only young people, but, but also the older ones among us, um, how to work through these feelings? Well, being raised by traditional elders in my culture, my grandmother was very strict about how I made other people feel. And one of the things that she would say to me is, that means to uh, to not make people feel bad about themselves, you know, intentionally like sometimes you hear people say something like um, you should be ashamed of yourself Mm. Um, if my grandmother heard me say that to an individual she would have corrected me in private because that is against our traditional values Uh, we're taught not to make people feel bad about themselves but to teach them with kindness love and respect instead of making them feel shame. So that's one of the things that I practice. And the more you practice it, the easier it is. So I'm very careful about how I make other people feel about themselves. So one of the things that I stay away from is you should be ashamed of yourself mm. because it is, it is not a good feeling. It's hurtful. Yari, I, I hope it's okay to ask you this. I'm wondering if you found it difficult ever sticking to these values while living in Anchorage, while living in a place with a very different culture from Savunga, where you grew up. Oh, there's a it's there it's very challenging, and being married to a non-native man has helped me to see and learn more about myself and to better understand the things that my grandparents teach me. But when I see things like this, for instance, um, there was these two people making fun of my chin stripes. They were trying to make me feel shame. To me, instead of being defensive, 
or getting offended about it, that to me is a teaching moment. I try to remember the things that my grandparents teach, uh, what they taught me. And so with those two individuals making fun of my chin tattoos, I went up to them and said, you know, I know you guys are making fun of me, and my grandparents taught me that it's not okay to make fun of other people. And so think moments like that, instead of getting offensive or defensive, that's a teaching moment for me. I try to remember the things that my grandparents raised me with. Tika, you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, the, that music has been so important to you in this journey, and, and you shared the song by Annie DeFranco. And I, I wonder for both of you if or how art has played a role um, in the journey through shame and, and other feelings that come with it, whether it's music or, um, you know, a different kind of art. Does something come to mind there? Tika, maybe you could start. Uh, I've always worked in the arts. Uh, as a kid, I, I left home at 15 and went to music school in Los Angeles. And from there, I worked as a performer and a studio musician for a long time, but there was certainly um, songwriting and performing were really cathartic for me. Uh, it, it introduced me to a way where I could find and access power, but I only really ever had that when I was on stage. I didn't, I hadn't, it took me a long time to learn how to carry that over to the offstage world. And I think uh, possibly when I left the entertainment industry and went more internal to writing. Uh, I use writing now as pretty much my tool for processing uh, most of the time. And I, it's what I teach for my students too. Uh, I'm a language arts special education and resource teacher. So a lot of what we focus on is that social emotional growth and learning in, and through the process of writing, trying to find words to build up our voice to give our voice that power that it deserves. And I think, I think through that process, I, I find, um, the most healing Hmm. and the most, uh, strength through, um, it's through the arts really. Ultimately, I've, I've not really found it through anything but the arts. Hmm. Yari, has that been a source of healing and strength for you as well, the arts, or is it something else? For me, it's, I have to say it's native dancing, you know, traditionally native dancing is a form of healing. It's a form of storytelling. It's a form of prayer. And our elders, our, our elder traditional healers teach us that to remove negative energy, you have to move. And so our ancestors believe that the palms of your hands act as a portal. So when you're dancing, um, you're removing negative energy. But in traditional times, we wore gloves to protect ourselves and to protect the people around us. So um, when I dance, I try to remember that it's a form of prayer. It's a form of releasing negative energy. But I also cover my hands to protect the people around me. And I also uh, recently found out um, art is also very healing for me because I can express myself through art without words. Um, I steal stories with my art and also with the colors that I choose. And um, it's easier for me when I put it in the form of art for me to talk about it versus just sitting here and, and sh sharing. So I found it to be very helpful. 
Simonetta. Can I ask a question? I have oh, a question of my absolutely. mind. Um, uh, this is Simonetta. Um, I was wondering, um, I was thinking about the different venues or even ways in which we can experience shaming. And so uh, nowadays there's a lot of online shaming. Um, and so my question for you is what difference does it make when shaming is face-to-face -face versus online or anonymous uh, or vice versa? I think for me the answer would be you know, I find it and uh, realize that it's easier to shame someone online versus face-to-face. -face. Like, for an example, uh, people tend to do it on social media. They do that because you're hiding behind the screens and you're not physically there. You don't have to worry about altercations or a physical attack on social media. So it's easier for people to shame others on, on social media. And when you shame someone face-to-face, -face, you never know what kind of response you're going to get. And, I mean, would you feel threatened by the look on the individual's face or their body language if you shame them in person? Would you feel threatened on social media if someone shamed you like, like that on Facebook or Twitter or one of the uh, social media that people use? So, yeah, I think it's easier for people to shame others uh, online or on social media. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, I think there's this anonymity that can happen online um, that allows people to feel like, I don't know, braver than they would if they had to look you in the eyes. But to build on that, I do believe that there's almost this mob mentality that kind of happens online where that when you, in mob mentality, it is really hard for there to be uh, differing voices. There's, there's really just like this one commonality that kind of drives the machine. And in the social media realm especially, it's really easy to feel that when you're alone with your computer that you are part of the mob mentality because suddenly everybody is backing you and you can sort of sift through those who are not and still be in your own mob sphere. And I, I think that's a lot of what we see right now um, is that we're seeing it from, you know, from politicians on down, this online mob mentality that kind of bolsters and empowers that shaming that's happening. You've brought us into the present day, Tika. And um, I'm wondering if, if, as you guys think of the current context, you know, with, with everything happening right now, whether political or, or the pandemic um, or the hunker down orders, you know, whatever it might be, what thoughts come to mind for you about um, the, the conversation around shame and the current climate? Are there things that, that concern you or, or things that give you hope currently? And I know that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's a bad habit of mine. There are a lot of things of concerning me right now. <laughs> um, I think actually uh, that feeds right into, um, you know, we're seeing uh, almost like that mob mentality that's gone from the you're in your stay put mode, so everything's online, and it's fed, 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 and suddenly it's in the physical, tangible sense. You're seeing these people taking to the streets and protesting with guns and screaming at each other and, 
lock them up and this really strong sense of mob mentality. And the signage that I see in that bears really like a lot of that shaming, Um, a lot of signs of like how, you know, shame on you, like literally saying shame on you for infringing on my rights, shame on you. And then Mm -hmm. likewise online, you're seeing people who are hiding at home, shaming their neighbors for congregating or shaming the people at the store for going to the store. There's a, there's a lot of shaming going on right now from people on all sides of, um, the, the virus really ultimately the pandemic. Mm. Thanks Chica. Yari, I, I can offer you a few extra minutes to think if you'd like, or if you're ready to answer now, that's fine too. Which would you prefer? I'm ready to answer. Right. I think uh, sometimes I think all of us do it without realizing it. Um, when when Tika mentioned that, she made me realize, you know, oh, my gosh, I do that sometimes, too. You know, like um, how could a, a, a parent take their children to the store and take them shopping when the other parent could stay home and watch them if they come from a troop? two-parent household, you know, without even knowing what their stories are. I, it's like automatically um, I shame them or judge them. And so Tika made me realize that. So thank you for that. Mm. So I have to be more aware of that. Mm. Excellent. You know, I think um, it's really it's really easy to, to feed into that. We, My partner and I started a, a Facebook group uh, when we, when this really first started becoming aware, we as a culture started becoming more aware of how, uh, real this pandemic was going to be for us. And, uh, it's just a place for people to share their story, their experience online. Um, it, so it's not just, uh, it's not just a place to post articles and opinions, but it's actually a place where people can share that experience and be heard, especially in this era where we feel like a lot of us are not being heard and our numbers are not being counted. Um, but it, it's interesting and it's a constant, uh, battle in this space. That's almost 10,000 people in there. And there is a lot of this, uh, desire to shame. And it, it's interesting to see shame in this level because at the core of it is this commonality. It's this fear, right? This fear that we all seem to share in one way or another that's driving this, this kind of shaming machine. And I think because of being in this group, I, I've become more and more aware of what my part is and what my role needs to be. Um, and, and also like being a teacher, I, I see I'm interacting with my kids every day still online now, but, um, mm. and recognizing that there are so many different stories being played out that we cannot have a one size fits all. And therefore we cannot sit around shaming each other one way or another. And, and also I, I have to keep myself in check because I, I want to like instantly jump on that. What are you doing with your guns at the federal building? Go back inside you fools. And, you know, I want to go to the shaming, but I need to step back from that as well and not, not be part of that problem. Tika Ballas and Yari Tuli Walker each have time to share a final thought with us. Um, this is this is really open, guys. So this could be a question or a reflection or something that you know is on your mind that you just haven't had a chance to say yet in this conversation. And while you are thinking of, of what your final thought might be, I want to take a minute to um, thank, first of all, Indra here at at um, Out North Radio for 
for making this conversation happen tonight, to Simonetta Mignano as well for putting it together. And of course, to everybody out there listening, thank you for, for listening to this. Um, we hope it gives you a lot of food for thought and maybe helps you to connect with some new people in, in a different way than you did before. Coming back to our, our really wonderful guests tonight, Tika and Yari, um, we would love to, to hear some final thoughts from you guys. Um, does one of you feel ready to start us off? Well, I'll go ahead and start. Um, <laughs> one thing Sarah. I want to say is, uh, first of all, thank you again for inviting me to be a part of this. And uh, Tika, I thank you as well. Um, one thing I wanted to add was that um, I think in some cases uh, shame puts us in a spot of correcting ourselves or learning from it um, because sometimes when we make mistakes we feel shame and so to me I feel like um, it helps us with personal growth uh, and what what hurts us help us to grow stronger if you put intention into it. And as I always say when I say my prayer, uh, thank you for my trials and tribulations because it helps me to grow. Um, it helps me to see the wrong and it gives us a chance to correct that. So I wanted to add that uh, for this evening's talk. What an inspiring thought. Thank you, Yari. I will um, second that. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this. It's really an honor to be part of this conversation. And I want to thank Yari. Uh, there are so many things that you've already said that I've, I've been writing down because they've just been really powerful words. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I get to carry these with me. Uh, and I think I, I really struggle with this idea of um, there are these philosophies, and, and Yari actually just touched on that as well, that, for instance, like with your amygdala, like, um, if you have fear, it's a healthy thing, right? It can help you to avoid pain or death. Um, and there's the same philosophy with shame, that shame can be a positive thing, that it can help you to avoid certain shameful actions. Um, uh, and at the same time, I struggle with that because I, I my experience of shame is um, so core-driven. And uh, I look at shame and guilt as two separate, um, things where shame is about, where guilt is like toward you, an action that you've done. And shame is ultimately a failure to attain some ideal sense of self. And I think in closing, I would just say that, um, there is, there's so much to be said about a community that, and a culture that really embraces empathy and um, this removal of negative energy, like Yari talked about through dance, this movement of removing this um, negative energy of shame even. And if you walk with this and you put intention into everything, as Yari had mentioned, uh, putting intention into that so that we could collectively like release ourselves of shameful acts, guilty acts, and the sense of shame in our lives that and that ultimately that we can I, attain an ideal self without having to uh, remedy it through um, the absolving of shame. But uh, yeah, it's a powerful conversation. And uh, I really am thankful to all of you for allowing me to be a part of it. Thank you. <laughs>